Heart podcast with me, Dr. James Rudd, Digital Media Editor at Heart. And welcome to this second part of the Orbiter podcast. I hope you enjoyed the discussion. So where do, where do you see the role then in single vessel disease stable patients? Do you think people who are on multiple antianginals who may not want to take them for life there's still a role for, for stenting? Well, the, the mention of multi-angel is interesting because those, those were the very patients we randomised. So the, the most hilarious comments on Twitter, and I, I, I'm sorry to say people are stupid, but sometimes if the word stupid means something, it is when people say, oh, this doesn't affect me because I reserve PCI for patients who uh, have angina on multiple... Uh, and my first line is medical therapy, and then if that doesn't work, I do stenting because that's exactly the hypothesis that Orbiter was testing. So if they said, I just put in stents, first of all, without medical therapy, that would be acceptable. But the latter statement to say Orbiter didn't uh, inform that viewpoint uh, is pretty dim-witted. The way I look at it is, if it was me, if I was a patient and I had angina now, I don't want to have a lesion in my LAD or circumflex RCA if I can help it, and I don't mind taking um, aspirin and clopidogrel for a year. So I would want to have it for internal beauty purposes for myself. And if we told the patient what the lesion looked like, they would probably also want it for that reason. It's not a specific endpoint. It's not because of angina. And it's not because of um, uh, risk necessarily. It just feels uncomfortable, the thought of it. The question is, should we be thinking of it? And that's a separate question. I can't help it because I see lesions, and we see people coming in for a primary angioplasty, and we think, well, if we could have stented this patient yesterday, they wouldn't be here now. But at the moment, we have no way of knowing that patient was going to do that the day before. Yeah. And at the moment, uh, the reason I still do angioplasty, by the way, when we consent them, we now say, uh, you know, when you say, what, what good is it, that little row? You say, to get more blood flow into your heart. Because that is true, shown on the stress echo. The stress echo showed almost total normalization of yes, blood flow. Yeah. Quite remarkable. Um, and that was all blinded analysis, uh, blinded to ward and blinded to patient. So I was actually quite surprised that the uh, stress echo becomes so, so close to normal. Um, and so the reason, if people want to know what they can tell validly to their patient, I suggest to say, uh, reason for the angiogram is to see if the arteries are narrowed and reason to put a stent would be to improve the blood flow to the heart, because um, if we were improving the blood flow to the leg or liver or any other organ, um, uh, people would accept that. That's good, good enough. Good yeah. enough. You know, people put renal stents into people renal arteries to improve the blood flow and into the carotid. So, um, uh, so if you just so if has, you just say that, yeah, it has it has changed your consent process and yeah. my, because I don't make claims that I can't support anymore. I also think it's about managing patients' expectations, and in yeah. fact, um, I've had it said to me before. The reason when. What has happened over the years is that angioplasty and angiography has become a little bit like a trip to the dentist. You kind of go in expecting you're just going to get something done, have your, have your quick procedure, go home today feeling absolutely much better, and that was it. Um, in fact, if someone goes for a bypass operation, they get counsel to the potential risk of all sorts of things happening, and they really go in with a magnitude of kind of expectation they know that they're going to spend some months recovering. They may or may not feel better, but this is why we're doing this. And in fact, 
if we counsel our angioplasty patients yeah. the way I now do, which is to say, I think that your symptoms may be due to your heart, but they may not be. Um, we will do our best to fix the narrowing that I can see, but you may have disease in the smaller vessels that I can't fix. Hopefully that will make you feel better, but if it doesn't make you feel better, we have tablets we could give you and there's other things we could do. We could put you back into our cardiac rehab program and there may be more we can do afterwards on top of stenting to improve the result. When they come back to clinic then saying, I don't feel a lot better than I did before, it actually makes that conversation so much easier than how it used to be when I saw my patients and said, you've got an airing, I'm going to fix it. And then hopefully next time I see you in clinic, I'll be discharging you. Mm. Um, and or, managing, or I don't even need to see you. Exactly. And managing their expectations is so much easier because I think any interventionist who says they've never done angioplasty and then had a patient come back saying they feel exactly the same is fibbing because we've all seen that. Um, and we have our patients come back time and time again saying they have the same symptoms. Mm. That may be because there's more disease that we don't see and we can't treat. It may be because they have non-cardiac disease, but most patients would still ha like a shot at feeling better. Um, and if you present it to them like that, as an opportunity to feel better, but not a slam dunk, um, then they, they come back to you feeling kind of relieved that you tried. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the other useful thing to point out is the thing that really is going to save their life is the, the medication, yeah, the aspirin absolutely. statin, and not smoking and blood pressure. And I think stuff. we've been re-educated to the fact that, and certainly as doing the trial, we saw this, patients were telling us they were unbelievably symptomatic and then would say, even if they'd had the placebo procedure, there was a proportion of patients that would guess that they'd had the stent. Um, and the reason they'd guess is because they'd felt so much better clearly on their tablets. There were patients who were saying they went back to Zumba class, um, you know, with tight proximal LED oh, awesome. I had a patient who... The Alami placebo yeah. uh, Zumba yeah. test. So I was very educated to the fact that actually most of our patients actually go for angioplasty. Worldwide, 90% of patients will have had zero or one anti-anginal. Yeah. So we're not practicing guideline-based medicine, which was to give them two anti-anginals and see what happens. Yeah. Um, so perhaps it is a time to kind of stop, think, mm. step back a little bit. Um, and rationalise what we do. Um, and just finally, to finish, you you both uh, joined Twitter. I <laughs> yeah. think since the uh, since the trial. Well, I'm a silent Twitter watcher. Okay. I I joined Twitter the week before um, the Orbiter trial came out because there was a little seven year old girl called Rasha Alami uh, who was on Twitter. And one of my friends sent me a photo of her and said, you better join Twitter because this at Rasha Alami is about to be trolled. And you want to save this six-year-old girl from what's about to happen next. And that is purely the reason I right? opened my account. And I couldn't take Rasha Alami because she already had it. So at Alami was born. I, um, How have you found the whole process? I have found it funny because I'm not a social media ite, really. I don't have a Facebook page. I don't do Instagram. Um, and when you're in the midst of a trial for four years and it's really become your life, um, initially some of that criticism was kind of hard to take, obviously, because in five minutes we can all tear any trial apart. Sure. Yeah. It's many of the limitations of Orbiter, which I absolutely accept there are limitations. You'd have to be a narcissist not to believe that your trial had some limitations. But many of those limitations were limitations we always knew. 
They were part of actually, they were built into the trial design to make it possible. Um, and you were and fairly upfront in the paper about We were, that. and you know, we've been pretty upfront later. Um, so I think Twitter, I mean, I, it is a really interesting forum. I, I haven't engaged with it in the way Daryl has. Well, There's part of me that regrets that Daryl was ever put onto Twitter. Yes, but you say it as though it was like a magical thing done by a well, third party. In fact, she used to come every day and say, or, or phone me, she was in America, because I was hiding in England when she was uh, presenting at TCT, uh, as I thought it would be far too dangerous to put my head above the parapet. And uh, she would phone me every day and say, have you seen what they said on Twitter? Have you seen? And I said, no, because I don't have a Twitter or whatever it is. And anyway, and then when she arrived, she put it on my computer and said, this, in, normally in my office, uh, and you visit Orbit HQ, it's an impressive, impressive, oh, it's a, the, the, the gleaming towers. Whenever anyone come in, comes in there, and it has a meeting table, so often people come and meet for things that have nothing to do with me. If they say things that are illogical or enumerate, I heckle them from, from the back. So I'm used to that. So anyone coming and talking nonsense in my office, uh, I correct them, or at least challenge them to explain themselves. So when she installed it on my computer, I said, oh, look, because they kind of, I don't get many people coming saying stupid things in my office because they know what happens to them. So they tend to do the stupid stuff outside or, you know, try and be rational inside. And then on my computer, suddenly a whole stream of idiotic comments. I said, right. And I started having at Unfortunately, them. Unfortunately, Daryl's approach is like the approach to that whack attack game. Every time someone bobs up, he bashes them back. Yes. <laughs> Actually, many of the critics. Um, There's been lots of positive. There has, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think you have to take, you know, of course there are limitations to the trial. And, and, and part of actually responding to the limitations is accepting we always knew these limitations. Yeah. They're not new to us. Yeah. Yeah. I think but I didn't mind limitations. When, it's when people when say, I find so one it guy. Inane, it's when people think um, we hadn't thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> Many of those limitations, of course, we thought of. Yeah. You know, we would have loved to have followed up patients for longer. It probably wouldn't have had any difference because, of course, angioplasty has an immediate re yeah, result. That's the most ridiculous but thing in the world. We you, when we inflate it. a balloon, we are, so I did the calculation on, on Twitter uh, for people who think that when you inflate, a, say, 15 atmosphere balloon, it's something like, uh, say, 15, so almost, 15 <laughs> say, 12,000 millimetres of mercury. Um, uh, and if 12,000 millimetres of mercury uh, do not open the vessel, then why do you think some 120 millimetres of mercury over time is going to do it because they've had that all their life and they've not been able to open it. So it doesn't make any sense that the stent is going to get any bigger after you dilate it and put the post dilatation in because it's 99% less pressure you're now putting onto it. So if the stent is fully open and you don't get the benefit of angina, if they get angina reduction later, uh, I would say it was rational to assume it was something else. Secondly, we couldn't keep them blinded for much longer because we wanted them to have a stent, because we assumed that stenting worked, and we yeah. wanted them to have and, the stent and most importantly, you know, people have commented on the, the, the event rate in the trial. That's in fact, if you look at those lesions in that appendix, as many people have commented, most of those patients wouldn't have left a cath lab without a stent that yeah. day. We genuinely thought going into that trial that if we really genuinely wanted to recruit proximal LAD lesions, mid-LAD lesions, the type of lesions that didn't make it into a lot of the other trials, then we couldn't have a very long follow-up because, of course, that would be a barrier to 
physicians wanting to recruit and patients wanting to go into the trial. You have to and ask. We have to design a trial we'd we be happy for, that we would be randomised, happy yeah. to randomise our mother to. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was. I, I wouldn't mind doing it for that limited mm -hmm. time under blinded conditions. The, fu the funniest comment I ever heard uh, on uh, Orbiter was, I learned nothing from Orbiter. It's like walking around with a dunce cap on your head saying, I'm an idiot. So <laughs> why would you actually advertise the fact that you learned nothing from all But a lot of people have said <laughs> to you me... Do? I'd keep quiet about it if I were me. <laughs> a lot of people have said, obviously, this trial means nothing and, and it shouldn't affect what we do. Um, and, you know, they're entitled well, to their opinion. Yeah. They really are. Um, and it doesn't matter who they were, Daryl. Absolutely. Well, no, the but, European Heart Journal has just tweeted that it shouldn't affect... Uh, clinical practice and I agree now people say I should respect all opinions equally I don't think so uh, I think everyone's That's entitled to their opinion I respect <laughs> opinions in proportion to how validly they have arisen and sometimes you can't judge whether a reasoning is sound but then you should judge it best on whether the person has a track record of valid reasoning for forming opinions and then you can trust them so if people can't, if people produce opinions that appear to not be valid and are then not willing to explain them, uh, then I am afraid that opinion is not worthy of respect. Whether the person is worthy of respect is another matter, but the opinion isn't. The opinion isn't. And how do you think orbiters should affect guidelines in an ideal world? And we, well, what we would say is we won't tell the guideline people what to do. It's a very, very difficult job, and I'm very thankful I don't have to get involved in it. But what Russia has provided is a gift to them. 200 blinded, placebo-controlled patients, which brings the world total to 200. Actually, I'd like the take-home message to be that placebo-controlled trials can be done. And I know that sounds perhaps like a cop-out, but in fact, that's the truth. We don't do it enough. There are, we have become very interventionist and very proceduralist outside of cardiology. You know, there are so many procedures that we do that have never been tested in this way. Um, and we do them because we like to do it. We like to tell patients they'll feel better. And, you know, we like to fix people. Um, so outside of what Orbiter found, what we've actually shown, and, you know, they showed it in renal denervation. They showed it in laser myocardial revascularization. They've shown it in knee arthroscopy. That actually you're rarely um, upset that you did a placebo-controlled trial. You're mm. very often surprised by the results. Um, and I think the best um, sort of take-home message is that patients are up for it. Physicians will recruit to it. Funding bodies really should accept that this should perhaps be a standard for interventional therapy as it is for drug trials, um, and that's where we need to go, you know, that's where interventions should be proceeding. I don't think Orbiter is the last word in angioplasty. Of course we could build on that trial, this trial, with more trials. Mm. Um, but we've certainly put one new piece of evidence we have. there that wasn't there before. We have, and, and if we were naive about anything, it was um, that we hadn't quite, I mean, Daryl and I, I mean, we'd have personality disorders if we had designed this trial for the amount of infamy or fame that yeah. it has kind of gathered. Yeah. We went into this genuinely thinking that we needed to answer a question that hadn't been answered and wouldn't it be exciting to do this. Yeah. And um, we genuinely thought the result would be positive um, and the interest would be exactly. on which subgroup showed the most benefit. I mean, we thought this would be a trial that was referenced 
as a reason to perform angioplasty for symptomatic relief. Yeah. So it has shocked us as much as it's shocked the worldwide community. Um, and I guess the other thing from our point of view is we hadn't understood how much of a lobby group there was against interventional cardiology, mm. particularly across the water. Um, mm. And Orbiter has ended up sitting between two camps that are debating against each other. We are not part of that debate. No, We've no. just provided evidence. Yeah. Um, and if editorials would like to slam Orbiter or herald Orbiter in kind of equal measure, yeah. that's up to them. Yeah. Um, we're just here to give them data, basically, and that's what we'll carry on doing. Brilliant. Well, thank you both very much indeed for your time. It's been a fantastic discussion. I'm sure it will be followed by uh, many more Twitter rants. Not for me. <laughs> I'll say silent. Thank you very much indeed.